Welcome to Thoughtfully Mindless. My guest in this episode is Tiffany Leader. Tiffany is a burnout coach who has spent more than 14 years in the mental health field. She offers some great insights on managing burnout, mental health, and a lot more in this discussion. And with that, let's welcome Tiffany. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so grateful. So we're going to be talking about burnout prevention. Um, and I always like to ask like a basic question because I think definitions matter, right? So right. what is burnout? What are What exactly are we talking about there? Yeah, it is physical and emotional exhaustion that happens from unaddressed chronic stress. I think most people have at least working people, people, adults, I'm, I'm sure some yeah. under 18 people have experienced it too, but I, I'm sure a lot of people yes. have experienced burnout. How do you actually know that's what you're experiencing and not just stress or or just lack of sleep and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a level of um, patterns that we notice in our lives. Like I didn't, so with my own story, I didn't even know that I was burnt out, even though I have taught about this. I've, I have talked to clients about it in the past and stuff like that. Um, I think what happens is that we normalize it so much in our culture, in our society. It's part of the hustle and the grind. And it's like, you just do it. You just do it until things get better. But the reality of it, what happens is our brain and our bodies have a limit. And when we start reaching that limit, it's not just like lack of sleep. It is lack of sleep. It is chronic stress in your body. Your body starts giving you signals. Your thoughts start spiraling. You feel um, easily irritated. You're not content with things at work and not just like it's a week or it's a day. It's an ongoing dread of going to work, an ongoing dread of having those meetings. And so when it becomes this pattern of not sleeping and, uh, dreading and exhaustion, I always tell people too, it's like, are you waking up tired and going to sleep tired when it's both? And it's a level of exhaustion beyond like, eh, maybe I just didn't sleep well that night, but it's like, it's just, I'm just like dragging myself out of bed type thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm dragging myself into bed type thing. And so, um, yeah, so I just feel like that there's a lot of complications on like actually like figuring out what that looks like because of the normalization that we have in our culture. But I think those are some of the signs that we can start looking at to see and really evaluating like what's really going on right now. Yeah. You, you mentioned your person, personal journey, but can you go into yeah. that a little bit more? Like how did you end up where you're at now? Um, yeah. Specializing in this. Yeah, so I am a clinical social worker. So I've been in the social work field for 14 years and I've hit levels of burnout, talking about that exhaustion or even having compassion fatigue for the clients that I worked with. So where it was like, I was actually just talking to a client the other day and she's like, I feel really bad, but like, like I just don't, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> Whatever the client was talking about. I was like, okay, we need to like, take a step back and look at um, like, why, why are you feeling this way? And so I have felt that way 
over my career, but I was able to work through it and whatnot. But this last time that I had a burnout incident, I would say it was the most severe. What happened was that I was a director in a program and I am trying to develop this program and I grabbed the thought that it was going to get better. There were different things in the organizations that were happening that I didn't necessarily agree with. I was advocating for myself. I was doing the things that I needed to do to communicate. But what I realized was that things weren't changing. And so I just kept saying to myself, it's going to get better. And then I started noticing these symptoms. I never equated it to burnout, but until this one particular point, but I never equated it because I was like, it's going to get better. Yeah, I'm not sleeping very well. It's going to get better. I have this chronic pain in the back of my neck that I know is coming from stress. Well, if we just get through the development of the program, if we just get this house open, it's going to get better. And the reality of it is that it didn't get better. And I would love to say with all of my experience and all of the work that I've done with people, I would recognize it in myself, but I didn't. I was going to therapy because I knew these different things of not sleeping, of the chronic stress I was feeling in my body. I was having panic attacks. And I was like, I know these things are not right. And so I started going to therapy myself. And after a while, my therapist was like, Tiffany, like, when is it going to get better? And I was like, what? <laughs> it was like a light bulb moment for me, for me to say like, oh my gosh, I am burnt out. And if I don't change anything, things are going to get worse. And so that's what birthed my company and my business to specialize in it because I don't want any other woman to get to the place that I got to. And I think so often it's so easy for us to be able to go there or as human beings in general. But for me, I do specialize with women. And so I feel like so often we carry a lot of things on our plates that um, we feel are non-negotiables. We feel like everything is a non-negotiable. And so that can lead to burnout. And I just don't want anybody ever to get to that place. So my heart and my passion is to say, hey, like, let me come alongside you and let's look for these intentional living practices that we can put into place so that you can eliminate it. Because I have, I have eliminated it from my life and I know that you can too. So you work exclusively with women and obviously yeah. everyone can experience burnout. Um, yes. What went into your decision to work with women and do you feel like that's hindered your business at all or do you feel like it, it's helped it? Yeah, I think for me, I with the work that I have done and the experience I've had over my career, I started out working mostly with women. So a lot of the research that I was doing, a lot of the um, science that I was looking at as far as brain development, all of that stuff was geared towards women. Some of that stuff too also um, equates to men. Um, but I found that um, over my career, and I've worked with men over my career as far as in the social work side of things, I just found that there was another level of passion that was bubbling up for me to work with women and to where I could, um, just from like female to female, I could understand a little bit better. Yeah. And so um, your question of, does, has it hindered? I don't think so. Okay. No, I don't think it's hindered it at all. Yeah. So you mentioned some of the um, symptoms of burnout. So like 
anxiety, um, panic attacks, um, lack of sleep, being tired. Um, What are some of the other common symptoms people experience? Yeah, I would say um, I do. So a lot of the work that I do is uh, mindset work. And I have studied the brain and I love like getting into like the biology and the neuroscience and all that stuff with the brain. And so I think one of the things that can trap us into the cycle of burnout is expectation. And so that is a sign of like, oh, I should, those should statements of like, oh, I should do this or I need to do this love like feeling guilty if I don't do this. So we do things that is motivated from a level of guilt or a level of expectation that comes from either our own experiences or experiences we've had in life or it's expectations of other people on us. And the problem with some of that is that these expectations don't line up with who we truly are. And I call it that like deep soul place where you like you know who you are and you know how to operate and even if you don't like figuring out like what is that like what resonates in that deep place of myself and how do I make decisions based on that and so I feel like recognizing those thoughts and recognizing those thought patterns that we have is a um well it's a way out of burnout but recognizing the cycle of those thoughts and the patterns that you have of like, I have to people please, or I have to do this because this person said this in a way that feels outside of yourself, or you feel guilty because you're going to make them mad or whatever by setting a boundary. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I know one of the differences between men and women is women on average are more agreeable. So they have, it tends right. to make them more agreeable people have trouble saying no, they have trouble like creating boundaries. So what are some other, uh, what are some other things women specifically have to focus on with burnout? What, like, what are some other struggles that women face? Yeah, I think there's a cultural um, type like going kind of we're going into different types of burnout and so I think there's a cultural burnout of and you saw this a lot with COVID and in 2020 and it's still kind of it's working its way through still of the expectation that I have to be full-time mom parent and I have to be full-time worker And there's no in between. So there's this high level expectation of like, I have to be fully present when I'm home and running the household and doing all the things when it comes to that and the kids and all of that. And then I have to be 100% also at my job too. And everything that they're requiring of me, we can talk about workplace discrepancy too. I just read a statistic the other day that now it's gotten better, but it's still not there. Women make um, 86 cents to the dollar for men, as far as salary can comparison, it used to actually be, I think back in early two thousands, it was 77 cents per dollar. So it has gone up, but there's still a discrepancy of pay. There is a level of like, I have to prove myself to my counterpart or to my colleagues or to my boss. If I'm in a higher role or in a role with a male, um, counterpart 
So those are different things that contribute to burnout. That is like a cultural thing that's happening. Um, On that statistic, do you know if that is that looking at like two people in the same job or is it just looking as like an average overall? Yeah, I think there were two. Now, don't quote me because I'd have to go back and actually look because I was looking at several studies. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the average for overall and comparison of the role. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure I can go back and actually look. And if you want that information, I can give that to you. Um, So either way, there's still a, either way, there's still somewhat of a discrepancy in salary. So, so how do you, like, what does a coaching session with you look like? How do you actually help women with their burnout? Cause I'm, I'm sure a lot of people feel like, it, it, this is just the way it is. Like, I'm just the way it is, I'm, yes. you know, <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah. A lot of women come to me, they're like, this is just what it is. This is the way life is. This is the way it's expected. And I'm like, no, like, it's not, we don't have to live this way. It's not normal for us to live in a way where we're exhausting ourselves completely every single day. And so a lot of the coaching that I do, the foundation is the mindset. So let's look at these expectations that keep you in the cycle of burnout that are causing you to not say no or causing you to say yes to all these different things or even your own expectation of yourself. Like, why do you expect yourself to perform in a certain way and be a certain way? And let's look and see, is that true? Is it real or is it just a thought? that has come to your mind because of whatever, whatever could influence that thought. The second part is the discovery part. Um, I love this part because I like to teach women how to dream again. I think we get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of life that we forget to dream and imagine as children. I always tell people like we foster imagination in kids so much. And then we forget that we have that imagination for ourselves as adults. And we can use that for our good. And so being able to dream again, what do you want life to look like? It doesn't matter the how. Let's stay in the wow. Let's stay in like, what could it be like? What would it feel like? What would um, that look like for you? And then let's break it down for the season of life that you're in. And so taking these moments is what I call is little moments. And if you have only eight seconds to take a really good deep breath. So that's four counts in and four counts out. Then you can do that in order to help reset your brain and your body and what whatever you're feeling. If you have more time than eight seconds, then let's figure out what that looks like for you. So within that, the third part is that we set a sustainable habit plan is what I like to call it is because I want to establish sustainability. Taking these habits and forming them in your everyday life is going to rewire and change your brain and it's going to change how your body responds on a regular basis. And so um, when we can take these moments, implement them in, I think this is what a lot of people struggle with is that they're like, but I can't find joy or I can't have fun because I've got all this stuff that I got to do. And I was like, but we can. So we like discover time. And discover what that looks like to take time for yourself and put yourself first. Because women, we tend to put ourselves on the back burner for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And 
we've got to take time for ourselves to be able to take that moment in order to fill ourselves back up, to release some stress and to navigate what it looks like. And I think too, uh, one of my clients recently was like, I think I was expecting joy to be this like overarching, like in the clouds kind of feeling that I have all day. And she's like, I really don't have time for that because I've got three kids and I'm in a corporate job and my husband and all the things. And she was like, it's in the little moments that I have found so much joy, whether that's baking cookies with my one of my kids that's old enough to learn how to bake cookies, whether that is on my run in the morning. Instead of playing an audiobook, she started to just have quiet and just observe her surroundings and that filled her up in a way she didn't expect. So, um, yeah, I just take these women on this journey of, of busting and clearing that mindset of finding those moments of joy and setting sustainability in their lives. Oh, so if somebody doesn't get help, if, if they just continue, um, as normal, what happens? Does it just stay the same? Does like, what are the long-term symptoms? Effects? Yeah. 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 So our brains and our bodies have a limit. And like, for me, like I was saying, panic attacks for me was my body signaling to me, Hey, something's wrong. You've got to get help. Um, I've talked to several different women. I one in particular that I'm thinking of she was actually hospitalized because she, her, her system, her body systems just stopped mm -hmm. because she was working so hard and so fast and she did not sleep. And it was like, I don't remember the time frame as that she kept in this cycle, but, um, she was in such a high level of a stress that our bot, what happens is that our body goes into protective mode and our brain does too. And so when it reaches a point where it's like, Ooh, there's danger, I need to preserve myself. I'm going to shut down and I'm going to do whatever it takes to preserve life. And so systems will start shutting down just to give energy or give flow to different places that actually need it. Yeah. Um, and so really like the realization that I came to and I have some clients that have come to is that we, we have been slowly killing ourselves um, by not taking care of ourselves. Yeah. Um, you mentioned finding time. So how do you help somebody find time? Yeah. So I think it's re um, training your perspective of what time looks like. A lot of the times we're like, we don't have time or it's all of this stuff. And so I like to comb through like detail of like, okay, what are you doing throughout your day? Let's really look at it and let's find the pockets that are there because we get in an automatic pattern in a routine of our life and we just see it, we go it and we kind of know it. Some things change a little bit, not too much. So what happens is we go into this automatic mode and we're not really looking at, Oh, how long am I, am I scrolling? Or do I actually have time? Like how long does it take to pick up my kid from school or what's the drive time? to and from work if you have drive time or what's the time it takes to go from my couch to my office if I, I work at home. And so I really like to, this is like fun for me because I'm like, oh, let's pick apart your schedule and see what's there. And from an outsider looking in uh, for me to kind of help treasure hunt with them and find those pockets of time because it doesn't have to be hours. Yeah. If you have hours, amazing. Like, yay, go you. Like, 
do it. Like if you can do it, but if you only have minutes and maybe you have seconds, we're going to find that time to implement something that's soul giving, life giving and joy filled so that you can get that boost of happy hormones in your brain. You can get that boost in your body to provide sustainability and longevity. Yeah. Um, I, I like the concept of finding time. I, I, I'm always trying to find, yeah. find more time in my own life. So it's like, okay, yeah. am I listening to audio? That's something that I want to learn audio that I could be doing yeah. during a commute and, and then use that time that I was spending at home doing something that I can't do in the car. So yes, very much like yes. That. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And I think too, it takes, you know, I call myself an intentional living coach and I think that's what it does. It takes, it takes intention and awareness for us to look at like, what can I do and what can I shift? And it doesn't have to be an overhaul. Um, There's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, which I absolutely love. And he, in that book, I don't remember if he's the originator of this phrase, but I know it's in this book. And he talks about getting 1% better every day. Mm. And so by the end of the year, you're 365% better, which is more than 100%. So you're, you're like ahead of the game at the end of the year when you are becoming this 1% better. And so if we all we can do today, tomorrow is 1% of taking a moment, finding a time, learn something new, whatever like fits your fancy, then you're going to, in the long run, you're going to get better for it and you are better for it than trying to do this like huge overhaul, which I support my clients in doing an overhaul, but to break it down for people who feel like they don't have time, let's just do 1%. And can you receive 1%? Can you do 1% and know that that's enough? Yeah. Yeah. I, that concept of uh, like an overall change is, I, I'm very much support like small, small changes over time because yes. it's, it's way yes. more sustainable, right? Like 100%. if somebody makes a huge change to their diet, they're going to, they're going to have 20 foods that they missed the first day of that diet they might only be able right. to maintain that diet for a few days before they cave. Whereas if yeah. you start off, okay, I'm not going to eat chocolate for the next yeah. few weeks, you know, and then I'm going to add, yeah. you know, less cheese or whatever it might be, whatever you're trying to do diet wise. Right. I find that way mm-hmm. more sustainable because yeah, you make these big changes and it's just a shock to your, to your body and your mind really. Mm-hmm. It really is. It really is. And like, we need time. Like our brain or our brains are in habit patterns and they call, I call them habit loops. And if you think of a dog running in the grass in a circle, how they love to just like run over and over, like what happens to the grass? Yeah. It gets uh, pushed down. Exactly. And you start seeing that. And so like we are in this habit loop where you can see this dirt pattern with some of our habits. So when we change our habits to the other direction, it takes time for that grass to run down. And so we have to think about that in our brains. Like if we change two, three, four things at a time, like, and we're not going to see progress right away. And it's a shock to our system of like, whoa, because what happens to our brains, our brains go in protective mode. It's that kind of, that fight, flight, or freeze can kick in and be like, Ooh, this is unsafe. I don't know what's happening. And all these signals of resistance can happen. 
Um, and I, I tell clients like sometimes getting better actually hurts first yeah. because of this, because we have to retrain our brain to say, Hey, this is safe. This is actually good for us. We're just doing a new habit and our brain doesn't know any better. Yeah. It's the, it's funny that you mentioned that the grass being pushed down because yeah. an interview that I'm releasing tomorrow with uh, Daniel mm-hmm. Gaspaderic, he's a, uh, out of Colorado, he used a similar analogy of snow, you know, snow being oh, nice. pat down. Yeah. Like it's hard to walk in snow at first, but then you, you know, you, yep. you pat that down and eventually it gets easier. So yep. really like that. Um, so let's talk about the 40 hour work week, if you don't mind, because I, I have yes, some very strong thoughts on it. this. Like I am, yeah. I'm very much against the 40 hour work week. I think it, and I was actually on a walk yesterday and I was thinking about it. It's kind of mm-hmm. ridiculous in a certain sense that technology has improved dramatically over the last 50 years. So we we yeah. have the tools to be way more efficient in our jobs, but then we're mm-hmm. still expected to put 40 hours a week in for those jobs for you know whatever pay it is, but 40 hours a week. It, it's just this social norm that doesn't have any real logic behind it other than that's what the people running factories and stuff like that a hundred years ago, that's what they wanted. So can we, can we talk a bit about that? What's your opinion on the 40 hour work week? Yeah, I'm totally against it. 100%. (laughs) This is why I have my own business too, is that I, and this is like, I'll just give you this example. So I did contract work for a while. So I could, um, I saw my own clients, I could make my own schedule. And then I went to a job where I had to be there like nine to five. And I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? I was so used to like having my own schedule, doing my own thing. For me, I have some health issues. And so on days when I feel like I can't um, perform in the way that I need to, I can take that time like with, with without having that nine to five, I can take that time to take care of myself so that I am better the next day and I can show up. But when you're in a nine to five, when I was in that nine to five, there was like guilt coming in about like, Oh, when I can I take off? Am I going to be able to take off? Like I'm expected to perform and do all this stuff. And we end up, I think that pushing through to do the job, we are less effective than when we are feeling good. I can like, I can get stuff done. I don't know if you're this way too, but like I can get stuff done when I'm feeling good. Like, let's do it. Let's knock it out. And instead of like dragging it out and feeling like you're on the clock and all of this. So, um, like long story short to say, like once I was, you know, the hardest thing about transitioning to that nine to five job was not having that schedule. And once I was out of that job, I was like, I'm never working for somebody again. That's going to, require that because it's unrealistic and I think we have to take care of ourselves and to not have that space to take care of ourselves is a disservice I think to humanity honestly in general because we can't show up as our best selves and bring our creativity and bring our productivity and bring ourselves to what we want to do in this world in the best way when we're expected to be in this box yeah. that, like you said, was created a hundred years ago. Yeah. 
It's also, it doesn't seem like, so I was reading once, I was reading the Scrum book, and I, I think there are developers that are don't support the Scrum method, but it, it did make some good points in the book where if if you tell somebody that they have to work 40 hours and you give them an assignment, they're going to make that assignment take about 40 hours. So yeah. the work that we're told to do, the amount of hours that we're supposed to work, we basically fill out that time with work. So it seems yeah. like you, you can get more efficiency by having more of like a results-based um, yes. like income for mm -hmm. people. Like, so it's like, mm -hmm. I, I need you to do this job. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how you do it. I, this is just what I need. And if yeah. you do it in 10 hours, congrats, you have a lot more time in your week. If you do it in 50, that sucks. Maybe get a little bit more efficient at it over time. And, and then you work less, Yeah, you know? So, um, what role does self-care have in this. And I, I remember looking at your Instagram and you kind of have some mm -hmm. different opinions about what self-care is. So can we dive into that a bit too? Yeah. 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 Let's talk about it. I am all about redefining self-care. Um, the bubble baths, the pedicures, the massages, the like having like brunch with the girlfriends or kicking it around, whatever. Um, those things in and of themselves are okay. I'm not saying they're not self-care, but what I think is that we misplace those things as self-care and that like, what do we actually need to do to take care of ourselves? Like, for example, um, I used to do this all the time. Like one time I can remember I went to go get a massage because I love doing that, but my brain was swirling with all of these thoughts and all of these worries and all of these things. I'm laying on the massage table. Like I can't turn my brain off. This is really not helpful. Like my body is relaxed, but my brain is swirling with stuff right now. So in that moment, looking back, I actually needed to probably sit down and journal mm. and get this stuff out of my brain and then maybe go to the massage afterwards so I could relax and so I think sometimes we misplace self-care as all these different things that like to relax and to rest and whatnot. But is that what we need? Because sometimes I think a lot of the times we need to rest. Yeah. I'm one that needs stress because my knee jerk reaction is I'm going to run fast and hard. That's what I know that I do. And I have to be very careful of like, how am I feeling? How is my body feeling? I need to take those breaks. Other people actually need to go for a walk or do something creative or do something um, outside of themselves in order to care for themselves. So I think um, learning what your body and your brain actually need and figuring out what those things are is really helpful and impactful instead of these cultural norms of bubble baths and pedicures. And again, I go get a pedicure every now and then. I don't necessarily like a bubble bath. I'm a shower steamer girl. So if you got those shower steamers, I'm good to go. <laughs> but um, I think it's, it's about taking care of you. So if that actually means like, okay, maybe we've been like, I think one of the things we don't talk about is that when we're not feeling well, as people, our hygiene 
can stop first. It's one of the first things. And I know it's sometimes people, it's embarrassing to talk about or whatever. I'm like, well, but it's, it's a reality. There's some things we don't do. Sometimes we just don't brush our teeth before we go to bed. It's just what it is. And what if we did that? What if we just brushed our teeth before we went to bed because we know that we would feel better? Or what if we um, took that walk even though we don't want to because we know we're going to feel better? What if we sat down and journal? Like for me, I know like when I am avoiding my journal like the plague, I know there's something inside of me that needs to get out mm-hmm. that I don't want to face. But I know that when I do it, I feel better. So I think too, it's looking at what are the things you don't want to do that, but you know that you need to do to feel better. How do you know if you're doing something just because it's the easier option? So one of the things I'm kind of thinking about is television. A lot of people at the end of the day, they say, I just want to turn my brain off. And and I do this too. Like sometimes I just, I'm like, I just want to not think about anything turn on a TV yes. show, turn on a movie, something like that. Yeah. How do you know if you're actually taking care of yourself and taking the time you need for on what you need or or you're just avoiding making a real decision to to better yourself? Yeah, I think there is a level of um you don't feel satisfied after it. You might feel more tired and exhausted after watching TV in that way because there's so emotions create tension inside of our bodies and that level of tension, whether we recognize it or not, because we're avoiding something, it's there. And so if you're scrolling or you're watching TV to numb this emotion, maybe it'll be gone for a little while. But once you're done or the next day or that night, like you're going to feel that level of tension and level of dissatisfaction because you've put off the decision or you put off actually releasing that emotion or put off um, taking care of your body. And, um, and I would say it's a fine line. Everybody's line's a little bit different of what that looks like. So there's a lot of um, introspection and reflection and even just like body awareness. Mm-hmm. Like what is, cause our body if you look at it, we know this, typically, we know the statistics that 80% of language is body language, and the rest is verbal. Well, that's saying that goes for uh, what's wrong inside of us. Our bodies signal us way before our conscious mind realizes what's going on. So when we can pay attention to like, ooh, like, what is that? What's going on? Like, is my stomach tightening? Or do I have tension in my neck or in my shoulders like what is that like where is that going and like what does that feel like and how do I take care of that Mm -hmm. um that can give us signals on how to take care of ourselves and if we're not taking care of ourselves with with self-care and taking care of ourselves how can we especially women how can they find what they need for self-care especially if what they need isn't something that they've done before. Like how can somebody discover the self-care routine that works for them if they're in the dark about what those activities or or routines are? Yeah, I would say um, put on like your explorer and adventure hat and try something. Maybe try something a friend of yours has done or try um, 
Like if you've never gone to a yoga class, try yoga and see if it works for you. See if you feel that sense of release and satisfaction after it. Um, I think that is a big thing is opening our minds to that. Also, I like to ask the question, what was fun for you in the third grade? Yeah. Um, because we, I mean, as kids, we have no problem having fun. Like we love it. We just revel in it. People like want us to have fun, but we forget that. So sometimes it's going back and saying, what have I done that I used to love to do? And I just have put it on the back burner because some of those things can come back forth in our lives in different ways and bring just as much joy and take just as much care of us. Okay. What do you, what do you do in a situation where somebody doesn't feel like they had fun at three or in third grade that much? Like if, yeah. if somebody maybe had a more traumatic childhood or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what I say is, um, what would be fun now? What would, let's look at different acts. Cause we, we all have this, um, that soul level. I always call it that soul level self. And we have things that we have desired gifts and talents and abilities that uh, we have been given and what you think is funny may be different than what I think is funny. What you think is fun is going to be different than what I think is fun. So it's almost taking them back to this place. Like if they had a childhood that wasn't traumatic, typically you have options to explore. Like your parents will try to put you in the club team or We'll try the singing lessons. We'll try the guitar. We'll try art or whatever it is. And so walking with people saying, okay, do you feel like this could be something you would enjoy? And even if you're like, I don't even know. I have no idea. I'm always like, let's try it. Let's try it as an experiment. See how you feel. And if it doesn't feel great, we can scrap it. If it feels kind of good, all right, let's try it again and see what happens. And I'm definitely, I always like to take the caveat too of like people who have had traumatic experiences being, and this is like my, my therapy hats kind of coming on with this is making sure that we're not putting people in spaces and places that would re-traumatize them. And so it's, if they need therapy, like if I know that they need more therapeutic work, then I'm going to suggest something like that so they can, um, work through some of those different things in order to get to a place where they are ready to do some of this exploration. Because yeah. sometimes the exploration of these different things may not feel safe to them. And I always want them to feel safe. Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we touched on boundary setting a little bit, but yeah, that, that can get pretty complex, right? Some people need mm -hmm. to set boundaries with an employer, but they're also, you know, they don't want to lose their job. And mm -hmm. some people need to set boundaries with a spouse who might be extremely assertive or, or even more aggressive. Mm -hmm. And there's just all these different settings and, or friendships. People don't want to lose their friendships, but they want to create the right boundaries. So how do you approach mm -hmm. boundary setting and, what do you do in situations where a boundary needs to be set, but it, it seems impossible for the person to actually set it? Yeah. So I think boundary setting starts with how do you feel about yourself? How do you view who you are? 
And do you feel worthy to have a voice and a choice? So if that is not set somewhere, if there's some shaky ground when it comes to that, let's do some work as to why it is shaky. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What experiences have you had in your life that has caused it to be that way? And then when it's time to set those boundaries or we're considering looking at these different boundaries, um, when you have a sense of self, when you have a sense of worth, when you know that you have a voice, when you know that even though it's hard, you need to do the right thing, then the boundary gets a little bit easier. Is it still hard because it's, it could cause relational conflict, it cause a loss of job, it could cause all these different things? Yes, but when you know that you know inside of yourself that you're pursuing health, that you're, you're pursuing healthy communication, health for yourself, health maybe for your environment because you're trying to shift the environment that you're in, um, then it is worth setting that boundary. It's worth taking um, those moments to be able to do that because at the end of the day, we want to know that we know that we made the right decision for ourselves and for those that are around us. How do you, how do you build up that confidence? I have a, a friend I'm actually thinking about where he's extremely yeah. smart and talented, but he is mm-hmm. very non-confrontational. Um, yeah. How do you build up that? confidence to be able to, you know, create those boundaries or, or ask for what you need? Yeah, I would say start small, just like everything else that we've kind of talked about, start small. So can he set a boundary as far as like, I'm going to only wear black shirts this day? Yeah. <laughs> or I like to go see live concerts. So that's what I'm going to do. I prefer orange juice over apple juice, so I'm going to buy that. And those may sound like trivial things, but those are our preferences and boundaries for ourselves that we do every day that we don't even think that we do. And like for me, I like a good flare, little red glasses. So I'm going to find glasses that like I like to wear or I'm going to... um you know, I love the color purple, so I'm going to buy clothes that have purple. I'm not going to do what somebody else says type thing. And so I think building that and building that confidence in the little things, yeah. setting the boundaries in the little thing. And then if your friend feels like they can trust you is to practice boundaries with you. That may be a little bit harder because they know that you're a safe person or if they go, if they have a coach or a therapist or a mentor, somebody that they can talk to where they can practice um, a little bit harder boundary and see what happens and how they feel. Um, Because I think also going back to our body, what's his body saying to him when he wants to do this or not do these boundaries? Yeah, I'd imagine role playing has something to do with it. There, right? Mm-hmm. Like once you yes. decide you've, I need to set this boundary or I need to make this request. Um, if somebody doesn't have the confidence to do that outright and just wing it, uh, they yes. probably need to role play and, and talk through things and have somebody who's yeah. actually going to pretend to be the other person and give them responses yeah. as if they're the other person. 
Yeah, yeah. And so they can feel, I think a lot of it, again, goes back to feeling how, how what's your body doing in this? Because you can condition your body to either like take a deep breath or I can, I can like feel the tension that like just hearing, like listening you say that I'm like, I can feel the tension inside of myself of like, yeah, I've been in those situations where like my stomach's tightened and my shoulders have tightened where I'm like wringing my hands because I want to be able to say the things that I want to say. I think you can work on your body responses to roll, whether it's little things like taking a deep breath before you say something or being able to like, open, like we tend to clench our fists when we're stressed as just people, we can clench, we clench our body in general. How can I open my body up so that I feel confident and I feel like I can say what I want to say? Yeah, with, uh, with like a flight or re- uh, fight or flight response, right? Some people are yeah. more, mm-hmm. they lean more heavily toward flight. Um, and yeah. that fight response is what you need for boundary setting to at least some degree. How do you work mm-hmm. on that flight response? You know, like, I just, I just want to get away. I just want to get away from this and I'll, I'll just yeah. leave the job. I'll just, you know, I'll just walk away. Right. Yeah. I think it's um, fighting against that habit loop because the freeze response is that habit loop. And also our brains go offline uh, when we get in those fight or flight freeze modes. And so whatever we can do. So when I say that is that literally the rational part of our brain right here, it turns off in our primitive side of our brain that's over here turns on and we're all emotion. We're either like, oh my gosh, I get get out of here or, oh, I'm going to hit somebody. And so being able to recognize one, when you're in that, I always tell people lean into the uncomfortable of like, okay, I'm going to lean in staying here. Can I stay in this un- uncomfortable spot a couple of seconds more? And then maybe I'll leave the room. But if you can do it a little bit more, kind of like exposure into these uncomfortable um, situations. Maybe there's not opportunities if it's very specific, but where are other times where they feel like the flight? Can I lean in just a little bit longer and take a deep breath and stay in the uncomfortable and then I'm going to leave. And so it's kind of conditioning you to stay and know that you can be in that place and you can be safe yeah. in that. Um, I'm like, I think I, did I answer your question? I know yeah. I kind of went on a tangent yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're setting boundaries and you, you kind of touched on this earlier, I think, but sometimes what we think about a situation isn't reality. Like we're, mm-hmm. so you, let's say you have to talk to your boss and, or, or yeah. manager and you're just worried about getting fired. How do you know whether it's a rational fear or if like based in reality, or if it's something that you're just worrying about, that's not even really a concern. Yeah. So what I'd like to do is take my clients through what I call the outcome formula. And this is what we do. So let's take this situation and I'll do like a brief run through of this. The situation is like, um, so maybe that let's do like a fact because you always want to come out with a fact. That's the situation. So the situation is like, I have to have a conversation with my boss. So that's a fact. You feel like you know, you got to have this conversation. 
All right. So let's look at the next thing. What are the thoughts? What are the thoughts that are going through your mind? I'm nervous about having this conversation. I'm not sure I want to have this conversation. I know I need to have this conversation. Like getting into your thoughts of like, what are the thoughts that are swirling around that are about having this conversation with your boss? Next would be the emotions. What are you feeling? Because these thoughts are going, what are you feeling about it? Are you nervous? Are you scared? Are you afraid? Are you terrified? Or are you nervous? Do you want to throw up? Like all of those emotions. Then let's look at the behavior. So because I'm thinking these thoughts about it, because I am feeling these emotions about it, how am I acting? How am I showing up? Am I um, avoiding my boss like the plague every day? Because I know I need to have this conversation. Am I just kind of rushing through work and not really doing the things like I need to because I'm worried about it and I have these thoughts about it? Um, So in the behavior is action or inaction. And then we look at the outcome. What's the outcome of having these thoughts, having these feelings, displaying this behavior? And the outcome could be that like, I'm a hot mess because I need to have this conversation with my boss, right? So that kind of help, that can help pull what is each one. What I like to do is go back through all of that again with my clients and say, okay, what do you want? What would be the desired thoughts, the desired emotions, the desired behavior? And so when you can look at the two, and a lot of the times when I have conversations with clients, they realize like, oh, I'm actually not worried about anything because actually on my last evaluation, I got a really like, I got a gold star or like I got a really good compliment from them, but I couldn't remember that because of whatever might've happened in the situation. And so being able to work through that and look at the thoughts, a lot of the times it's just a thought. Yeah. It's not based in reality. It's based in emotion. And it takes some training to do that over and over again to really see. And I like to ask the question too, like, is it true? Tell me, how is it true? Is it true that um, your boss is going to be aggressive or your boss is going to be a certain way? Because um, sometimes we, you know, the saying we we take a, um, build a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah. Um, when we're thinking so much about something, it does, it it becomes big in our minds and it's, it's supposed to be something small, but we have built it up to being big. And so going through this formula is to help bust it, to bring it back down to see if it is reality. And if it's not, and sometimes, you know what, it is reality. Like sometimes there is um, hard conversations that we have to have. And there are people that do not act in a way that is respectful to other people. And so we do have to take that into consideration, but a lot of the times it's bigger than what we think it's going to be. When it is reality and yeah, when it is reality, how do you, how do you know if it's just too toxic of an environment to continue in And if you need to just walk away, how do you determine that? I think you have to look at um, how people are behaving. So is there respect? What's the culture? What's the culture of what that environment looks like? 
Is there a level of respect for humanity? Is there a level of compassion for other people? Is there a level of teamwork that's, that is displayed? Is there a level of care? There's a quote. Um, I always get it wrong. I think it was Roosevelt that said it, but it's like, um, people don't care and it's like something like people don't care until they know how much you care Hmm. and so i know i quoted that wrong but it's this level of like people like for example a boss if you're caring for your people and you're serving your people and you're listening to your people and you're you're getting feedback from them so a level of humility of getting feedback and trying to make things better for the for everybody then um then you know that they then then they're going to work for you they're going to care because you care for them so i think looking at toxic work environments and that's such a big word too is toxic so i don't you know some people throw that word around and sometimes i wonder is it is it really toxic or it is perception kind of like you said but um i think that we have to look at how we're being treated, how other people are being treated. And also I think we have to base it off of sometimes it's off of our own perceptions and life experiences and really getting curious of like, is this my perception or is this actually happening? Yeah. When you were telling your story, um, your burnout Mm -hmm. story, when you were saying it's going to get better, it's going to get better. I I would consider that a rationalizing thought, right? Um, yeah, like you're, mm-hmm. you're rationalizing an environment. How can people start to recognize when they're rationalizing? I think it's great to have outside people that you're talking to. Um, because for me, it took an out, it took my therapist to tell me like, Tiffany, when is it going to get better to break that cycle that I had? Um, Because for me, my personality is like when I'm involved in something, I am loyal. And sometimes I'm loyal to the bone because I believe in the cause. I've taken a lot of thought into whether I would take this job. And um, I'm passionate about what I do. And so I am like, I'm in it to win it. Let's go. Let's, Let's do it. And the weakness of that thought process is that I stay a little bit longer than I need to. Um, or I don't recognize it because I'm just trying to push the thing forward. And so having outside perspectives and outside people to be able to speak into your life, to provide accountability and encouragement and growth for yourself, I think is really huge. Whether that's a friend, it could be a friend, it could be a parent, it could be anybody. Again, it could be a therapist, a coach, anybody that has this outside lens to be like, hey, I need you to like consider because I can remember looking back. I had friends that were like, hmm, some of this stuff doesn't feel right. Or are you sure about this? And so, and at the time, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to fully admit like it was a bunch of different things that was culminating all at one point. Um, to, and I think too, I didn't want to face the decision of leaving. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I can work this out. I'm going to work this out. I'm going to have the conversations and do all the things. And 
the reality was like, I was just hurting myself more in the process. So having those outside voices, 100% saved me in those situations. How do you know when the outside voice needs to be someone that's maybe not a friend? Like one of the reasons we go to therapy is because our friends tend to be in our corner and sometimes you don't to get real help you don't want somebody that's just in your corner telling you that you're right you you need somebody to be more objective how do you know when that's what you need versus a friend yeah I'm a little bit biased because I'm a therapist too but I think everybody needs therapy and it doesn't matter if you have problems or not because we all have blind spots or a coach if you want a coach instead of a therapist awesome like we all have blind spots. That's just who we are as human beings. We can't see the forest because of the trees, right? And um, sometimes I'm like, because I was like, I have a really great friend that is a truth teller. Yeah. We're both truth tellers to each other. We're very honest with each other. And she was one of the ones that was like, mm, I'm not sure. I support you in whatever you do, but I'm just going to question these things. Um, there's something about having a stranger, like a coach or a therapist that speaks into your life, the same things that other people are speaking that are in your life. That is just different. Yeah. Um, they're not in your world. And so you can wait for that if you want to. I don't know if there's necessary a line for that. Um, but I'm always an advocate to tell people like, go, like, even if you're just questioning, uh, do I need to have this conversation with my boss or not? Uh, do I need to, uh, I'm not sure about this and maybe I'll talk to a friend about it. I would say even having those thoughts, go ahead and schedule you an appointment because, um, it collapses time when you work with somebody that's not in your world. That's what I've seen. It collapses time as far as being able to gain insight, to get perspective, and to learn something to help further where you're at. And sometimes you're not ready like I was. Like I was saying earlier, I don't know if I was ready to hear my friends. I don't know if I was ready to hear my therapist the first couple of times we were talking. It took a couple of times before she really like directly said to me like, hey, what's changing here? <laughs> and so I think we all have a level of when are we going to get to that point? Everybody is different, but as you work towards that point that you will get there to be able to get that insight that you need. Yeah. What role do you feel social media plays on burnout and mental health? Oh gosh. Yes. Like <laughs> I'm like, where do I start when it comes to it? If you look at studies with like teenagers now that are teenagers, um, even young, young adults, um, early, like late teenage years, early adulthood years, um, there are studies that are coming out that are showing how social media is actually rewiring the brain. Mm. Um, it's a, if you, you know, go down that rabbit hole if you want to, it's really interesting. And what they're finding is a new level of depression that's coming forth from people because there is this pseudo connection that happens. Am I for the connection? Yes. Like that's, do I keep up with friends on there that aren't, don't, that don't live where I live? Yes. 100% family. Yeah. It's a great connecting point. But when we use social media as our only connecting point, um, 
there is something that's not clicking in the brain that clicks in the brain when you're connecting with somebody face to face. Yeah. And so we, I don't know if you've read any of Brene Brown's books Uh, or who she is. I love her to death. And so she says like, we are wired for connection and without connection, there's a lot of suffering that we have. And so, um, when we don't have that true connection to somebody else, to anybody else that is supportive and compassionate and we can be vulnerable with, then there is a level of suffering that happens. And I think with social media that we don't get that connection. And so that is affecting the mental health of people. And the other part of it for women, I think I would assume this happens for men, but I know for sure, like women, we get stuck in this and this is a conversation I have with women all the time is the comparison trap of like, Oh, like look at what she's doing or look at what they're doing. Like, I want my life to be like that. It's the highlight reel. And some people, I feel like there's a wave of vulnerability that's happening on social media, but it's still a highlight reel of the vulnerability that people are going through. Um, And so we can compare so easily to other people our own lives and that affects us emotionally it affects us mentally i encourage anybody and everybody to do to take a break from social media and then recognize your habit patterns like it's like you can feel the detox like there it's a real like physical visceral thing that happens when you're not on there yeah so it's it is such a double edged sword because on it the is. one hand we connected over social media. Um exactly. And, and you, you can promote your business, you can keep up with friends or or yes. stay connected in some way with friends that you yes. you live far away from. But then it does, yes. it creates this feeling like you're more connected than you really are, you know? Yes. So exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd imagine you kind of recommend timers for social media, stuff like that on your phone. Yep. Yep. Timers for sure. And like for me, even just with your phone for screen time, what I do, and this was honestly really hard when I first did it, but like I feel so much better and I actually sleep better when I do this. My phone is charged across the room. Yeah. And I realized when I first did it, I was like, oh, <gasps> what if somebody calls? Like I had this like panic feeling of like, what if somebody calls? What if there's an emergency? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I know that my family knows they know to call my phone twice so that the do not disturb is overrided. They're in my favorites, all the things like they know how to get a hold of me. Worst case scenario, they can call my husband because he keeps his phone beside the bed. <laughs> That's fine. That's his yeah. choice. I'm doing that. But I need wind down time. The way I'm wired, I need to be able to read or just do something that is not a screen because I am on the screen a lot for my work. I'm doing, you know, interviews like this. I am working on different things. I'm talking to people online and um, I need that disconnect. And when I found that I did that, I sleep better. Like I can go to sleep better. Like I can't, like my husband has a different threshold. He can like watch a YouTube video, watch a TV or something like that. And boom, like he's gone in three seconds. And I realized like, I need that wind down after being on a screen. And so for me, that's what worked for me is to plug it across the room, 
put on do not disturb and just let it be. Yeah. And it is, it's kind of nerve wracking at first, but then like once you push through the hard, oh my gosh, there's such a freedom that happens. Yeah. I, I did the same thing you do. I started this probably yeah. a year ago where I just I put mm -hmm. my phone in the other room right next to it so I can hear. Yeah. But for me, a big part of it was, uh, I'm not a morning person usually. So I'm like, okay, if yeah. I have to take a few steps to my phone, I'm more likely yeah. to stay awake. So I feel like yeah, there another you go. Benefit yeah. From it. <laughs> that is another benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have yeah. any other tips for handling social media and how it relates to burnout? Yeah, I would say um, unfollow, like be ruthless. Unfollow those people that you compare yourself to. Yeah. And if there's content that's out there that stems unhelpful thoughts and unhelpful emotions, let them go. Even if there's people that you like or friends that you like, if it's causing that mental and emotional turmoil within you, let them go. Yeah. Um, because you, your health is important. And if those people are impacting it, then you need to have those boundaries with it. And, um, you know, it's so easy to get caught in the scroll. I actually just did a live with a social media manager and we were talking about, about this. And she was like, have, um, just be intentional with focused time. So like if your business is online, you know that you're going to go on there, you're going to maybe create your reel, schedule it or whatever. And then you're off instead of getting on there. I was telling her, I get stuck in the scroll because I'll start engaging with other people to do the engagement on there. And I'm like, Ooh, I like that. I see that. Yeah. And before I know it, I'm like 15 minutes down and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> and so she's like, just be really strict with your time. And she's like, set a timer. So it, it gives you that break of that cycle. To be like, Ooh, okay. It's time to get off. Yeah. It really is that tendency to just start scrolling is really hard. I'm, I'm pretty good at yeah. like staying on track, staying focused on things, at least, for, yeah. at least reverse. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll get on social media for a business purpose. And then, um, I'm like a few minutes later, I found myself scrolling after I've done all the business stuff and mm -hmm. it, it'll sometimes take me a minute or two to be like, wait, why am I doing this? Like, I don't want to, this is not what I want to do right, right now. But you just, it's yeah. a habit, you know? Yeah. Have you seen the uh, documentary about it on um, Netflix called The Social Dilemma? I have, yeah. It's been a while since I've yeah. it, but it was very good. Yeah. So, and it's talking about, like, you know, there's ads for all these products and all this kind of stuff. But, like, we're the product. We're actually the product. Yeah. And they want us to stay on there. So, they have designed social media and the scrolling and all that stuff to um produce dopamine hits yeah. in our brain i mean i know it goes a little bit deeper than that but that's what's you know high level you're getting a dopamine hit when you're yeah. learning something or you're going to the next thing or something catches your attention and so um yeah it's just an that documentary was really interesting yeah and um, it, it really is i think most people have experienced this now who who interact with social media you you make a post yeah. and Let's say it's a Facebook profile picture. You'll make that yeah. you'll make that post, but it's like, well, what really caused you to post that? And what are you really searching for? Because yeah. if it's just because you want people to see your face, fine. But 
Are you checking how many likes you got every five minutes after you post that for the next day and a half? Yep. Which is yep. more likely the case for a lot of people where it's like, yeah, you're doing it because you want that feedback. You want to have that yeah. positive reinforcement for you to, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. People like me, people, you know, people like you, people yes. like you, whether you post that picture or not. Exactly. Yeah. And talking about the mental health of like, oh, they didn't like that as much. Yeah. Or I didn't get that much engagement. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? That can send you into a spiral sometimes. Yeah. And it's not even in your control all the time. Like no. there's an algorithm yeah. that's saying, oh, this person doesn't post that much. Yes. So they don't get that much right. interaction. So none of your friends end up seeing your posts. And then you feel like, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, nobody nobody likes me. Nobody liked my picture. Yep. Nobody liked my cover profile I changed. So yep. people don't like me. And it's like, no, people just didn't see it because Facebook right. is and all these social media companies just want to keep their people engaged. So they're sending them, you know, the yep. stuff that they know for sure that they interact with on a regular basis. Yes. So, yep. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Social media is very much a double-edged sword. I, I use it, it, especially now that I'm I'm running the podcast business, but I yeah. try to limit it. I, I don't love it. So, Yeah, I'm the same way. It's a love it or hate it relationship because my business is all online too. Yeah. And so I am on there all the time just to do business stuff. So um, I have to be very careful with my time with it. Yeah, and even running a business, I find it's useful to – you know, sure, you want to, if you're running a business where you feel like you have to post every day, sometimes you don't need to. Sometimes you can just take right. a day off. Like today, for instance, there are some other things I wanted to focus on. I'm like, I'm not going to worry about posting on any social media today. I'm just going to, yeah. I'm just going to do my interview, do everything else that I want to do. And then mm -hmm. I'll continue back tomorrow and feel more refreshed, hopefully. Right. Yeah. And the, like you said, like I'm mostly on Instagram. So the algorithm, I feel like on Instagram changes all the time. Yeah. And so whether you're posting, you need to post three or four times in a day, yeah. or if you need to post three or four times a week, it's like, find what feels good to you and just stick with that. And know that like your people will find you and sure you can have, you know, keywords. like right now it's like the keywords and all that kind of stuff. But, um, just do what you need to do, what feels good for you and your business. And then that's enough. Like you said, like you'll just go on and do whatever else. And I came to that place too. Cause I was like, I do not want to get into the rush yeah. of all of that. And, um, we just do the best that we can and that's all we can do. And our people will find us and we'll find our people. We'll figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, I feel like that mindset helps you be more authentic too. Because if yeah. you're looking at it from I have to post three times a day versus I'm gonna mm -hmm. post when I have something I wanna say, like sure you can yes. you can try to make a habit of posting once a day or, or twice a day if you want. Mm -hmm. But giving yourself that leeway and and saying, I'm only gonna post when I really have something I wanna share, it helps you be more authentic because yeah. Yes. I mean, everyone sees it on social media where people are posting and it's like, do they really need to post this? Or, I mean, right. people, yeah. people go outside of their, I don't want to say comfort zones, because I think it's a good thing to leave your comfort zone, but they'll post on right. things that 
they really don't know much about or it's mm-hmm. it's a just a post to create a post just a yeah you know and i feel like it you lose some of your authenticity when you when you start yeah. getting into that habit yeah i would agree um what are some ways that men who are in relationships with women can mm-hmm. support their female partners um, and help them prevent burnout? Yeah. Um, I think one of like the key, I think foundational relationship uh, tips, you hear this all the time, but I think the truth of it is men, their knee jerk reaction is to fix it. And like in and of themselves, like, I'm like, I love it. You want to fix the problem. Like, I get it. But for women, we're like, we just want you to hear us. We don't want you to fix us. Just hear how we're feeling. And so when you can be in tuned to how they're feeling and like know when they might need a break or you can see you're an outside person from them. And so if you can see things that you're like, hmm, something may not be right or uh, maybe they're a little bit more stressed or you see that they're in this grind or because the mindset and all this stuff, it like, it comes out in one way or the other, it comes out in behavior and our language and how we're acting, how we're doing or not doing different things. And so being able to share with them, I'm like, Hey, I noticed this or here, here's a gift card to massage or do you need some time by yourself? Um, being able to learn to be in tuned, um, to those different cues. And it, it is, it's learning your partner of being able to understand that with them. But I think that goes such a long way. Um, because when we, women, when we feel heard, when we feel seen in that way, that automatically like fuels the love tank. And like helps prevent burnout because it's like, oh man, he saw that. He saw that and he cared enough to be able to do something about it. And I know that's not a man's knee jerk reaction. They're like, how do I fix the problem? How do I do this to make everything right and make her happy? Um, And sometimes it's actually taking a step back and giving space and being supportive and not really just letting the problem hang out there. Yeah. Men, we do have a tendency to want to fix things and my yeah. girlfriend has slowly trained me over the years to yeah. give her more of what she needs so about 20 percent of the yeah. time i actually am able to do that <laughs> yeah. hey as long as you're growing in it that's that's all that we ask yeah so we we have a culture that especially in the u.s i don't know how it is in other countries so much but we mm-hmm. we have kind of a supplement culture medication too but do you, are there any supplements that you feel help women with burnout or people in general with burnout? Um, so if you're looking at burnout, you're looking at stress, right? You're looking at chronic, chronic stress symptoms. Um, and I always preface this, I'm not a doctor. So do your research when you're looking at different supplements or medications, um, I'm just trying to think of one because there's some that are specific to anxiety Mm -hmm. that I have researched um, for clients and whatnot to do some research in. So like 5-HTP is a supplement that um, is really good that can help with that. Um, There's one called L-thymine 
Okay. That's another one that can be really good with stress that you see in a lot of sleep support. Um, what I would say, a reputable person that you can um, look at their information is um, Dr. Josh Axe in Ancient Nutrition. They tend to have research and a lot of articles about the different supplements that are on there and how they help you. Okay. Um, that's effective. And um, there was another one that I was thinking about. Yeah, I would do I would do some research. Those are two that come to my mind specifically that I have seen clients do some research themselves, talk mm-hmm. to their doctors about it as well. Um, I've heard uh, ashwagandha. I've I've heard some positive things. Yeah. About that. Yep. Yep. Ashwagandha is like rising to the surface too. I think it's always been there, but right now it's really becoming. Pro- you see it at more products. Yeah. Um, I'm like, there's another one that I am trying to think about, um, that can help, but I think those three are good ones to start with and just, again, do your research because there's some supplements that have a lot of fillers that are in there. Um, I'm all about trying to research and find clean ingredients, um, and find evidence-based practice behind it too. Um, so there's been longitudinal, uh, research that's shown the effectiveness of it. Um, kind of piggybacking on that. So mm-hmm. I support the use of marijuana in at least some context. And yeah. I, I think, you know, psychedelic mushrooms and different psychedelics can be a positive thing in, in life if, if they're used the right way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, you know, we have alcohol is widely used. So how do people balance their use of recreational drugs and, and drinks? Um, how, how can they balance that and implement those in their lives in a way that doesn't, you know, create more chaos, more burnout? Because obviously if you're drinking yeah. and you have things to do the next day, right. it's not going to help too much, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say why. Ask yourself why or what are the reasons that you want to use the alcohol, the drug, the the recreational drugs. Like what is, are you numbing? Just kind of like with the TV conversation, are you numbing emotions that you don't want to feel? Are you just trying to take the edge off? And maybe it's like one time to take the edge off, but are you taking the edge off every day because you don't want to feel the edge type of thing? So I think it's being very intentional about it. Yeah. Um, Because it's an easy, well, okay, maybe not easy is the right word. It's a slippery slope into having it cause more chaos in your life. Yeah. And probably... uh... If you're going to be doing anything like that, probably handling your stuff, handling everything that you need to do prior to using your prior. Yes, definitely. And doing your research too, like talking to people. And um, I actually listened to a podcast with somebody. She interviewed a, um, I don't know the right terminology, but he's like an expert in cannabis. Mm. 
and he like broke it down to the molecular level of what you're actually looking at versus what some of some dispensaries are not sharing some of this information and she was like now i feel like i can ask questions because certain levels or certain things are what one person may need and it may be different for the next person so with any of it i think it's doing your research your due diligence talk to people find resources um so that you're getting the correct dosage of what you need that's going to actually support you instead of hinder you. Yeah. I I was watching a, an episode of Andrew Huberman's podcast a few a few months ago and he broke down mm-hmm. marijuana use and and the studies surrounding it and it was really enlightening. Like I I use marijuana sometimes and it mm-hmm. it was uh yeah, it it opened my eyes up to a few things that I didn't realize about it and you know, it yeah. does educating yourself on that stuff absolutely helps you make better decisions on yes. your use and, and paying attention to whether you're, you know, going to an extreme or, or using things mm-hmm. in a way that's not beneficial to you. So right. I definitely agree with yeah. you getting uh finding somebody who knows what they're talking about and diving into it that way. Yes. Um Yeah, for sure. Do you have any books and resources that you recommend uh around burnout or just in general? Um, Well, I would say Atomic Habits is a great one. The one that I mentioned earlier is good. Um, I'm like, I normally do. (laughs) I'm trying to think like my mind is going blank blank at the moment. Um, I'm a huge podcast person. Oh, yeah. Podcast too. Yeah. Different podcasts. Um, somebody that I like to listen to because she all she dives into some mental health topics, but she's just really um, I'm like, how do I describe it? She's just really good at getting deep and talking through different things as it relates to women. Um, her name's Liz Bohannon, mm-hmm. and her podcast is called Plucking Up. And it's just this concept of like doing the hard things in life and having the hard conversations and um, navigating what hardships look like, what disappointments look like and having those real conversations. And so um, I love listening to her podcast because she is so real. And she has these conversations with her guests. Like, you know, we're talking about like a certain thing and this person's super successful. And she's just like, but I want to hear about the disappointments. Like, tell me like what happened and how did you get through that? And I'm like, yes, please. Like give the reality of the situation. And so she's somebody that I go to quite often um, just to listen to. She's just a good resource. I know there's others out there, but at the moment I'm like, I am drawing a blank. Yeah, no worries. But if I find them, I will send them to you. Yeah, thank you. For sure. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's all the questions I can think of. But Tiffany, okay. it's been amazing talking to you. Before we wrap up the recording, could you share with the listeners how they can reach you if they want to if they want to get some of your services for coaching or anything else that you want to oh. share? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Tiffany.leader. I am also on uh, Facebook and um, I am on LinkedIn. 
Kinda. I'm kind of navigating the LinkedIn world, but um, you can also email me at Tiffany at TiffanyLeader.net. I'm open to conversation all the time. I tell people I'm open in my DMs. Don't feel like you come into my DMs and I'm going to sell you. I just want to have conversations. I love having conversations and getting to know people. And if you're wanting services with me, like we'll talk about that and what that looks like. But um, also, I just really love connecting with people too. Awesome. Tiffany, thank you so much for talking to me. It was great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Thoughtfully Mindless. If you enjoyed it, sharing it always helps out a lot. And if you want to find me on social media, on TikTok and Instagram, I am Thoughtfully Mindless. And on Twitter, I am at TM Condos. Until next time.